Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and so glad that you were able to join us again today for another episode, whether you're watching us on YouTube or you are listening to us through your favorite podcast streaming service, please remember to subscribe and share this with people that you think would be interested in the content we have here. Because as always, we are trying to bring you the best practices for your business and to help you grow as both a human being and as well as a leader in your business. And today is no exception. I've actually been able to get to know our guest very well over the last few months. Uh, we belong to a mastermind together and we both work heavily in the dental and ortho space and uh, just excited to share her message with you. Before we get to that, remember to, again, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to YouTube so you can be alerted when these uh, shows come up as they are coming up quite a bit. I'm so excited about the series that we've been doing lately, the interviews that we've been having, really, really deep, deep conversations. As a matter of fact, today happens to be, and this was not planned this way, and there was no reason behind it, but it happens to be our first female guest of this new series of the Owner Role podcast. So, Allison Lucusier, did I say that correct? All right. Yes, you did. Allison I love, we had to practice that a few times beforehand, uh, is here today to share with us uh, about her coaching process and how she helps people really step into a bigger role in what they do every single day. So Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Love it. I love having you. I, I, we've been able to talk quite a bit about what we do together um, and uh, and what we do in our in, in respective roles and our businesses. And you've just been really somebody who I'm so glad I got to know a little bit more over the last few months. We start off the show always because I believe that stories connect us. We start the show with your story. So if you could just tell us a little bit about you, your story, how you got to be doing what you're doing now, and you can start as far back as as you want and uh, bring us up to today. Sure. I love stories as well. So I'll start when I was 10 years old. I was the first time I told my dad that I was not suited for the climate that I was living in, which was Canada. And he (laughs) immediately was like, oh no, what are we going to do with this girl's head? And so sure enough, by the time I was 19 years old, I was on a plane for one of my very first careers um, as a dental assistant. And I moved to the island of Bermuda by myself. Never been there. I had never um, seen the island and I just accepted the job. And my boss picked me up from the airport with my suitcase full of bikinis and dresses. And I started my life um, on the island at 19 years old. So that was probably one of the brave, that was the bravest thing I've done at that age. Um, But it really kind of catapulted me into being really bold, really realizing that I could like design the life that I wanted, asking for, you know, what I wanted and just growing really quickly. And so in the practice, um, coming from an ortho background, I worked in an ortho practice in Canada before moving as a ortho assistant. 
um, I saw this opportunity in the practice to really systemize their clear aligners. So I built this really robust and beautiful clear aligner program. Um, I took all of the responsibilities. My doctor literally didn't have to do anything, so he loved me. And we grew the ortho um, role in his practice tremendously. So he was like, okay, you could do this with ortho. You could probably do this with the whole practice. So I became the treatment coordinator and the office manager when I was 24. Um, we got rid of most of the team, hired a brand new team. And then I went to the University of Toronto in Canada. Almost every weekend, I flew into Toronto and back to the island almost wow. every weekend for almost a year um, taking this course and then became a certified professional coach because I recognized, which I know you recognize so clearly that part of being a successful business owner or a leader is really understanding how to help people grow. So became a professional coach through um, IPEC and I took that course in Boston and I managed the practice for five years and we had an amazing team. We accomplished so much. And then during the pandemic, I decided that it was time for me to have my own vision, my own dream, my own company, um, where I launched into my career as a professional speaker, as a coach, a consultant, and a, pro yeah, a professional coach. So Invisalign picked me up through my social media. I got connected with Mola's coaching through my social media, Seattle Study Club. And I just kind of launched into the industry at a time when I, like, fortunate enough as a millennial, was very comfortable with social media and with um, technology. And so all of my virtual webinars and virtual things were super easy for me. And it was a quiet time in the industry that allowed me to kind of jump to where I am today, which um, two and a half years later, it's been, yeah, it's been actually three years since I've been out of the practice. And I've grown to speak in probably over a hundred events and coaching all over North America. Wow. That's amazing. So tell me, why did you have to go, what did you go to college for though? What were you going back and forth to college for? That was for um, a dental office management certification at the University oh. of Toronto um, hmm. Dental School. Oh, okay. So he wanted you to have that certification so you knew kind of what the holistic idea of running that practice was about. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Very good. Okay. So now you've launched this in the middle of COVID, which was, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happened during COVID and people having to choose new jobs and new ideas and stuff. So uh, I know that you focus a lot on the the aligner part of things when it comes to dental practices and orthodontic practices, but there's another side to it that I think is really interesting that you've been able to find as a helper to to the team members who are actually in really in the muck of having to sell, having to promote, having to talk about this product. And it's really a personal thing. So let's talk a little bit about that. How, how did that evolve? Yeah. So even when I was taking my coaching certification and like managing my team in Bermuda, I knew and recognized that there's this like this underlying piece, like you said, dealing with the human first, like one of the, one of our core values at Clear Coaching is like humans first, professional second, because I recognize that there, there's this underlying like self-confidence, this worthiness, this feeling of like, I can do this. And I am the person that is capable of doing this that underlies everything that we do when it comes to a skill set or a mindset. And even as I was launching into everything that I've done, you know, I would hit a road and I'd be like, why am I, why am I holding myself back from this? Or why am I choosing things that aren't good for me? Or, you know, what is this getting in my way? And it always tied back to my own sense of worthiness, my own kind of self-worth or belief in myself and belief that I could do something. And I 
found ways for myself to overcome it and really kind of dove into my own mindset. But then I also noticed that with my teams that I was coaching with anyone, whether it be a new office manager, a new treatment coordinator, or a new dental assistant, or anybody that was doing anything that was outside of their comfort zone, that there was this sense of like this need to feel like they were worthy of that action or taking that chance on themselves or learning how to do it or saying yes to themselves or believing in themselves. That was the first step. And so when I really dug into this, I focused specifically on women because women, we have a different need in our own ways of operating in our own ways of business. And so when I looked at some of the studies and some of the things that I was learning about supporting women coaching and in business was that women need more support with their mindset than they do with their skill set. Men, men can overcome their mindsets a little bit easier, but women need more support when it comes to their mindset than skill set. But once they have that mindset piece, the skill set actually comes easier to them. But in many organizations, a lot of the coaching and the support is really just about the skill set. It's about what to do, how to do it. But it's not who are you when you're learning this and how can you believe in yourself to take a risk or to put yourself out there for the first time or to say yes to a challenge or to speak up or say no or take a face. None of these things are really taught to us. And we wonder as women, why do we struggle with imposter syndrome or self-doubt or lack of confidence or fear of speaking up? Is really the direction that I'm focusing on right now is supporting the mindset of specifically women in dentistry and outside of dentistry so that they can overcome all of their internal barriers to success. Well, I know that you, and I love that, and I know that you, um, having two girls and married to a wife, a woman, I, 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 I know how important that can be with the mindset piece. And you know, I've done a lot of work on ourselves around that, try to teach it with our, to our kids as well. But typically, it always comes from a personal place. And I know that you had uh, a time in your life where you were not as positive as you are now, not as uh, overcoming as you are now. Would you mind sharing that with us to let us know kind of why this is so important for you? Yeah, absolutely. So during like the whole process of me deciding that I wanted to build a career, I was actually um, in a relationship that was really, really bad. It was it was a very abusive relationship. And I was trying to build my business. I was trying to go through this transition and secretly, I didn't tell anybody because I was so embarrassed and ashamed about it. Um, I was actually living in an abusive relationship and it came to the point where like, it was a very, very bad experience. The police were called. I was escorted out of my home. Wow. There was a moment where I like was in, in my car and my dog was sitting on me, just so afraid. And the police officer was like asking me questions. And I like, I couldn't believe that this was happening, Mm. that I was in this situation. I was like, wait, like I've always been ambitious. I've always been smart. I've always been a striving and achiever and, you know, a good, good girl or a good woman. (laughs) And, you know, how am I sitting here with my whole life like in my car falling apart because I've chosen or allowed to be in an abusive relationship. And so that was at the very start of like my speaking career, just taking off and I'm traveling all over the U S and on paper and on social media, you'd probably think like, Oh, she's doing so well. But internally I was just so confused. I was so hurt. I was so sad and like lost and like, I felt in many ways kind of homeless because this was the person that I was meant to build my life with. We just finished our beautiful home. And 
it, it got me to really question a lot of things about me. You know, a lot of the ways that I was striving, a lot of the ways that I was working towards the things that I was working towards and why. And I really, after a lot of work with my own coaches and therapists and, you know, support groups was, I figured out that I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to choose better. And so Yes, of, of course, like nobody deserves to be abused. Like no one should ever have somebody. Sure. And yet there were so many situations along the way that I allowed or said yes to, to bringing that into my life. And so, you know, I, I believe so strongly in like personal accountability and like learning from all the things that we're going through. And so there was a lot of like reflection inwards after that moment to understand like, why would that happen? How did it happen? And then very quickly, how do I help other women that may be going through the same thing? Because the more I would speak about it, the more I would have somebody that would never expect, I would never expect them to say it. They'd be like, Allison, I had an abusive relationship or I had an abusive marriage, or I, I had something similar. And I was blown away by the amount of women that came forward and shared something really similar. And so it took me a long time to be able to talk about it because I had so much fear and shame and just, I was embarrassed and all of these things, but unfortunately that keeps you more isolated. And so the faster you can talk about it, the more you can get like support, love, care, or just like feel less ashamed of it. And so that's why I feel so passionate about this is that like we we sh- we build our lives based on how we feel about ourselves in many cases. And most of it is subconscious and we don't have this like specific like thought in our mind consciously. Like, I don't feel like I'm good enough or better, but we operate in that way. And so I want to help women choose better, know that they're better, know that they're worthy. And I've just recognized that so many systemic issues that I see um, with women specifically come from that, like lack of feeling worthy. Well, I love that you talked through the whole story and even recognizing that personal accountability piece, because I think that it's one thing that's very lacking a lot nowadays, people with their own self-awareness, right? It's really easy to blame and look at other things and other circumstances. And again, just to reiterate, of course, like in no way did you deserve that, that guy, you know, what he did to you and in that situation and the the self-awareness to go, okay, so what, when, and how often did I let little things go that added up to this thing? And I don't think a lot of people typically do that in their relationships because so much easier just to blame something else to put it out there. What I'm wondering though, is how often, and I know you said this on a, on a more extreme level of, oh, I've been through abuse and stuff too with people you talk to, but I wonder how much when you're coaching people and them actually understanding their own worthiness or their, their barriers, their roadblocks that they have, how much of it comes out through not understanding how to take personal accountability for their results, for the lack of being able to, you know, whether it be uh, sell or be able to hit their numbers or whatever, like how often does that come as part of it? And, and is it, an important step for them to really get, or can they kind of overcome that and, and build yeah. another skill elsewhere? I think one of the most powerful realizations that somebody can have is that they're always at choice. And mm. like, when I say that to people, sometimes it's triggering because they're like, well, I didn't choose to have this happen to me. 
And I'm like, fair and fine. And, you know, I always want to validate people for the, the hardships that they've gone through. And yet we always get to decide what we do with what happens to us. Mm, and so we true. always get to decide how we're going to show up afterwards. So never are we always the victim. We can be a victim of a circumstance or of a moment or of a person or something. Sure, absolutely. But choosing our identity after that moment is the most important thing that we can do. And it's a choice that we all have. And I I never want to come across as like being too harsh or like, you know, insensitive because people go really hard things in, in their life. And yet it's usually the people that have been through really hard things that are able to climb to great, the greatest heights because they, they recognize that internal strength that they have and we all have it. And so when it comes to anything that you don't like, or you don't want in your life, it takes a moment of asking yourself, what am I allowing in this situation? How am I bringing this into my life? How am I accepting it? And what can I do in order to change it? because you always can. And if we're going to give our power away to someone else and say, this is happening to me, then all we're going to do is stay a victim our whole lives. But none of us have to be. Yeah. At a minimum, you can change your reaction to it, right? You can still be upset. You can still be um, indignant. You can be passive, but your reaction to it is all that's going to matter. Um, I think it's interesting you say, when you talk to people about like, well, I'm not trying to diminish your your circumstance or where you kind of were placed into, right? Some people are born in just terrible, awful situations and they didn't choose that. I get that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to pointing the finger over at someone else, you can look at people with really, really extreme circumstances. A previous episode that we recorded with Brian Bogart, you know, ran over by a truck when he was seven, arms severed you know, literally hanging in the Arizona parking lot at 110 degrees, you know, all that stuff, terrible, awful circumstance. And it didn't turn around right away, but eventually was able to, you know, make some really amazing strides out of that. But what do you see as the reason why people will point fingers and say, oh, but they're special or they're different, or even worse, like the thing I always laugh about when people say, you don't understand my circumstance is special, right? Uh, what, what do you think that comes from? It's a, it's a form of protection. It's, it's really easy to stay in victim mentality. Like that's, that's the least amount of energy that we need to give off. It's, it's the way that we can protect ourselves from taking any accountability and taking accountability, especially if you're, you kind of create an identity around things happening to you and being the victim it's really hard to shift. And, you know, as a coach, this is something that we look out for all the time is like, how deeply embedded is this person's identity in the victim mentality? Because it is hard to shift. It is not impossible to shift. Everyone has felt like a victim at any point in their life to greater circumstances. Um, But you can always change it. And I, that's what I want people to understand is that it's up to you and it's within your power. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner your life will change for the better for you, not for anybody else, but for you. And as soon as we can get personal buy-in from an individual, a team member, anybody, that's the moment that things can start to shift because it, it comes down to like, what do you want? And sometimes it takes people like being so sick and tired of being sick and tired that they finally do something, but it, it's a hundred percent possible to get out of that mentality. So yeah, I love what you just said about like, you can do this for you, you can do this for you, but 
so many people get stuck in, I can't change because then they won't accept me or they will be mad or they get upset. Like, so this for you idea really becomes a novelty to them because they're so used to thinking about making other people happy. And what if they don't like who I am and accept me and accept me for not being a victim? Because people love to commiserate, right? People love yeah. to be around other victims. That's why we have tabloids. That's why we have, you know, Access Hollywood, TMZ, whatever those things are to make us all feel, oh, well, at least I'm not that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm still going to soak in my victimhood. Um, why do people though, knowing the end result, I think, I think if people really sat and thought about it, and if you were to go down the rabbit hole, when it comes to victimhood, everybody knows the end result is not going to be happiness. Like mm -hmm. nobody goes, oh, I am so happy in my victimhood. They will might say that in the moment, but the end result, no one ever had a thrilling, ex exciting, successful, whatever successful looks like life living in victimhood. So why, why do we choose to stay in it so often? I would say like a lack of being able to see outside of yourself. And when you're in victimhood, you're in like a very high cortisol state all the time. And so mm -hmm. look at like the neuroscience of that when we're in a high cortisol state all the time, meaning like we're highly stressed and agitated because we're in this victim mentality where we feel like the world is against us and everyone's against us. We actually lose access to our peripheral vision. So if we're every day waking up and I, I say this to my teams all the time, like you can choose, like, do you want to take a shot of cortisol for breakfast or do you want to take a shot of dopamine for breakfast? You actually get to decide mm. dopamine is like the happy hormone. It makes us feel good, um, which like can come from cold showers, exercise, positive affirmations, gratitude, hugging your loved one in the morning, listening to positive music. There's so many things you can do, or you can wake up and look at social media, read the news, complain about your work, complain to your husband, yell at somebody on the traffic way to work. Um, and you're literally taking a shot of dopamine or sorry, cortisol. When that happens, you actually lose access to your peripheral vision. Your cortisol will stay in your body for 24 hours. Your dopamine will stay for three minutes. And now, so clar clarify what you mean by peripheral vision, because are you talking literal peripheral or the ability to think in a bigger peripheral space? Both. So you wow. actually lose access, like your eyesight changes because your body is now like hardwired to think like, how do we fight, flee? freeze or appease. Like, how do we like fight something? Cause we're feeling that cortisol. Um, and then we actually lose access to our prefrontal cortex because our body, our brain is preserving resources to go into our primitive brain. And we lose access to our collaborative thinking, our creative thinking, our trust factors. So we are less trusting of other people and people will stay in that cycle for years. And guess what happens when we have increased cortisol over the course of our life? increased rate of heart disease, diabetes, stroke, cancer, all of these things, which is why people can like get sick by the way that they're thinking and, you know, the amount of cortisol they have in their body. So it's, it's a shake, like you almost have to like shake someone out of that repetition. And so the way that I do this is I start with like physical habits. I go into someone's like habits, I'm like, what do you do in the morning? What do you eat? What do you drink? What are you thinking about in the morning? Because if we can start to shift their actual like physiology that will start to help them get out of that victim mentality. Cause they'll start to just slightly feel better, physically feel better. And then from there, they'll be more, more um, available and open to thinking different thoughts that will make them feel again, differently and open up a whole new kind of energy level for them outside of that victim mentality. 
Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because it's so hard to, when you are in that space, I know I've been in there of the social media, you know, you see these kind of funny videos of people walking down the street with their face in their phone and then they trip over a planter, right? Or into a fountain or whatever. And we laugh at it, but we also know, yeah, that could totally be us easily because you do, I think it's fascinating to think you do lose that physical peripheral vision because you're so in that tunnel mode of what's happening next and you're so intently involved in what's happening, which 99.999% of the time is meaningless. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of that, you're actually being able to lose that peripheral vision in your brain. Here's what I found is, and, and I'm totally a victim of this, is I have found that my sense of uh, creativity, my sense of uh, awareness in, from a business standpoint, from, I mean, I love to look at different types of mindset and thinking and my awareness, when I'm just sucked into social media, that whole day is like not focused on anything. It's hard for me to be creative. It's hard for me to think of, all the processes that normally come pretty easy to me. Mm. And I can totally see that, that peripheral vision, if you will, even a, on a, on a <clears throat> imagery level of all the normal things I can see in a situation. I don't because I'm so focused, even if I'm not looking at social media, that it's the effect it's had on me throughout the day. I can totally see that. Yeah. hundred percent. And if you see something negative in the morning and oftentimes like depending what you're doing on social media, like just hot tip, really audit your feed and what you're looking at, like really be discerning of what information you're allowing into yourself with your social media, unfollow, un unwatch all of the things that are not good for you. Because once you see that in the morning, there's a part of our brain called the reticular activation system or our RAS will look for more of it. So if this is just a very like basic example, but if I said, um, do you know, I bought a brand new red Kia and you saw my car and you looked at it, you would probably start to notice as you're driving home, that there's actually a lot of red Kias on the road. Right. Is it because there are more red Kias? No, it's because the part of your brain that determines what's important has now determined it to be more important. So you'll look for it. So the same is true for us waking up in the morning and choosing to be grateful. And we actually write down all the things that we're grateful for in the morning or we like we imagine them, we envision them throughout the day. Our brain, our RAS will look for the things that we're grateful for naturally and automatically. So we can actually choose this different state of being and notice the positive things rather than the negative things by kind of like telling our brain what's important as soon as we wake up. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's so true. I can see it affect me in my life all the time. The particular activator of what I'm, what, what's that saying? What, uh, what you focus on expands. Right. And even just having that little bit of hint of something, it's like, Oh, I, I said earlier, I needed this thing and now I see it and it was probably there before, but all of a sudden I'm seeing it more obviously. What, what do you do first thing in the morning? What's your kind of go-to focus because yeah. it is so easy to get sucked into it right whether it be email or which Brendan Burchard says is a very very uh what's it called very organized system for other people's agendas yeah 100%. Um, uh, what do you do what, what's your morning so my morning routine and it, it has fluctuated over the last few years but um I wake up and I first thing will make some coffee and I'll sit down and I'll read. So mm -hmm. I like to like have a book that I'm intentionally reading. Um, 
like specifically throughout the year, I'll spend at least 15 minutes reading, drink my coffee, then I'll meditate and then I'll journal. And then after I journal and meditate, I will exercise in the morning and I will try to do all of those things before I start my work, before I open my emails, before I even let anyone else come into my kind of zone. Because when we wake up in the morning, we're at our like most, I would say like sensitive time. We like take in information differently. We're very like rested and, and it's such a beautiful time to be intentional. And most often people throw that time away. And I've been in, I have been in stages of my life where I will wake up and look at my phone. And I know in that stage of my life, I'm more anxious than otherwise. If I'm waking up and I'm looking at my phone, it's because something doesn't like feel good. doesn't feel right. And then it perpetuates that anxiety. So if I can wake up and look at my phone, not look at my phone, do my morning routine, and then open my laptop when I'm ready to work, that I'm so much more centered, focused, creative, energized. Like my vision is clear. I can block out the noise. It makes massive differences to my creativity and my well being. Yeah, I definitely see the difference in my morning routines when I'm intentional of what I want to do. When it comes to email, here's something I've noticed right, late, lately, and I, I don't have any research or a study to back this up, but I, I don't unsubscribe to a lot of things. Like I get a lot of emails that are just, I, I don't even open like there I'm on so many people's lists. Right. And somehow I get on them. Somehow I actually choose to be on them and it drives Shannon crazy. She's like, geez, just unsubscribe to those. But I actually think it would take me a, a whole day just to unsubscribe from so many of them. And here's something I noticed. I noticed that because I asked myself like, what's my resistance to really doing that? Because it, I'm on planes where I can you know, do that. I, I'm in opportunities where I can sit and just do that if I wanted to. And I thought, you know what, however twisted it is, in some sense, when I open up my email box and there's a lot of emails, it makes me feel important. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like, oh, people are trying to get a hold of me. And even if I'm literally going to check the box next to it to delete it and I'm never going to open it up, I at least know that people tried to get a hold of me. Isn't that, that's the way that our brain works about stuff. So I recognize that and I was going, wow, why why don't I just go and do the thing that actually gives me the sense of importance, which is working with my clients, creating content, shooting a new video, be, you know, putting something out there on social media that actually does something for somebody instead of looking at a full, my, I have a friend the other day who was talking to me and, he, and I screen shared and he saw, she saw that I have almost 13,000 unread emails, right? They're all junk. They're all, there's nothing important in any of those. But she was just like, oh my gosh, you're giving me anxiety that you have 13,000. I was like, how can you not have that many? I was like, what if I need to research something? What if, and that's my justification always, right? I might need to save that thing because I might need to look it up some other time. But it's interesting how we all have this desire to feel important. And mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder how much the going straight to your phone, getting that, even the cortisol, uh, even though it's a stress hormone, and doesn't make you feel great, it can still make you feel important because you're escaping the duties, escaping the things you have to do. At least you're putting attention on something. And I'm sure there's a ton of excuses that you can make for that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I like, we can become addicted to cortisol and I've been in many places in my life addicted to cortisol because of the fast paceness, yeah. the, the intensity of my days. And <clears throat> when you come off of that, like addiction to cortisol, when you realize that you're like, wait a second, like, why am I rushing? Why am I pushing? Why am I driving all the time? Again, like it comes down to that self-worth. Like, 
why do I need external validation to make me feel worthy of love, of belonging, of connection, of being successful? Like that's where if you can foster very powerful, very strong foundation of self-worth, it allows you to not need others' approvals to do the things that you want to do. And then arguably you live a more aligned life because you're not living your life and making choices based on the fears or anxiety or worries of pleasing or, you know, impressing other people. There's a book um, that like it shook me when I was younger. And I, I don't know why it's called the regrets of the dying. And I always think like death is such an important thing to think about and to remember because it's one, it's the only thing that we have guaranteed in our life, but we live and act like it's not. And then two, in this book, it talked, um, it was a bunch of people in hospice in, in the last days of their life. And this woman went in and she interviewed with them all. And there was two things that um, really stood out, like from her poll, from her questions. One of them was the regret that I wish I would have lived a life that was more for me and less about pleasing others. And two, I wish I would have prioritized the people that I loved in my life more. Mm. And I just like, I think about that all the time because I can catch myself like saying yes to things or doing things because I'm like, you know, I need to be successful or I need to like feel worthy or I need to be feel belonged. And it's, you know, we can almost like create these like sense of lies for ourselves mm. and these weird things that we do, you know, to feel yeah. this way it's misdirected and it's misguided. And, you know, at the end of our life, when we look back, none of it will really matter. None so I think the sooner you can get clear on this and have a sense of urgency about who you are and trusting yourself and loving yourself and honoring yourself, the better you're going to be as a human and a professional. So true. I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you have a, not only do you do your individual one-on-ones and, and offices and help people with that, but you actually have kind of like a, a women's coaching group program that you do, correct? Yeah. So I mm. did this last year. It's a coaching and mastermind program for women in business and leadership looking to like foster worthiness to create more success in their mm. life. What that success looks like. And so we go through like the curriculum of like, what is worthiness? How do you feel worthy? How do you foster that and create it? Um, and really the the results from my first cohort that we just finished were just unreal. Like I was so excited and so proud to see these women come through. And so, yeah, we started that last year and it's going really, it's really exciting initiative for me. That is awesome. That is really, really great. Well, that's amazing. How can people connect with you and, and find out more about what you do either in the office or outside? Yeah. So probably social media, <clears throat> you'll be able to like, see, you know, my life in Bermuda and Calgary, and you'll be able to follow along on my journey on women's worthiness uh, at Allison LeCousier. Um, That's my Instagram for my female empowerment and my coaching. And then your clear liner coach is the social media handle um, and your clear liner coach.com for all in practice. And, and we're going to spell LeCousier for you. Yes. LeCousier is L-A-C-O-U-R-S-I-E-R-E. There you go. Cause I would never get that correct. I <laughs> of the spelling gene. Well, Allison, we always end our, end our show. Thank you so much for sharing with us, by the way, because I think you just enriched and, and, and helped so many people just connect more with their own self. And I love that. That's not, that's your mission you have, especially with the women who are listening about really kind of getting out of their own way, taking accountability 
and knowing that they can actually have more in this life. We always end the show with asking you four questions uh, based around owning your role. Are you willing to play? Yes. All right. What is the highest and greatest responsibility that you have on this earth? Um, I would say like being the best version of myself that I can be. What do you want as the ultimate outcome for your life? I would say to know that I've impacted as many people as I can in my lifetime. What do you consider true leadership to be? True leadership, I think, is helping others, you know, understand who they are, what their skills are, and how to step into the most powerful version of themselves. Mm. What experience do you hope to have or want to have before now and dead? Mm, I want to own a ranch and have horses and compete in a horse show jumping show. Wow. Okay. That's a cool experience. That's very good. Well, well, thank you, Allison, for playing along and thank you for sharing your information with us. Please, everybody, as you think about uh, the lessons that we were taught and the edification that you had today, please reach out to Allison. And even if you're just curious, find out a little bit more about how she might be able to help you out in your life or especially in your practice. I know I personally have uh, sent Allison to a practice where I know that the team members can uh, use that help to overcome those limiting beliefs and not really feeling uh, that they're adequate enough to actually be as successful as I know they can be. And so I'm super excited to see the results of that. And I'm super excited to hear the results that you have with Allison in the future when you reach out to her. Thank you again, Allison. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dino. It's been a pleasure. All right, everybody. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the show and reach out to both myself and Allison on social media and make sure you share this episode with someone who you know as you were listening went, yeah, I bet it could help them to actually hear this message as well. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.